um, because they get to talk about their real lived experiences, right? Like for all of a sudden, the curriculum is, you know, about issues of racism or the curriculum is talking about poverty or the curriculum is talking about homophobia. Uh, and so when we talk about these things, like those kids had those experiences of dealing with those barriers and those challenges. Welcome to TG2Cast. I'm your host, Aaron Blackwater. Today I will be discussing social justice with Dan Scratch. Dan is a social studies teacher in Edmonton, Alberta, while also having taught in Halifax, Nova Scotia, and Windsor, Ontario. His teaching practice is grounded in a social justice framework that allows education to be used as a tool to empower youth to become critically engaged citizens who use their power to transform their lives and the world around them. Dan's writing can be found on his blog, Teaching for Equity and Social Justice, at danscratch.blogspot.com. Hello, Dan. Welcome, and uh, thank you for joining me on TG2Cast. Um, Why don't we start off by you telling us about your interest in uh, social justice as a platform for uh, your teaching? Yeah, well, it's, it's been a long fascination. Uh, it's been a fascination for probably the last 10, 15 years around there, somewhere in there. Um, I was trained as a teacher kind of in the, the um, I guess, in critical pedagogy following the, the, the work of Paulo Freire and, and mixing some Howard Zinn and that kind of thing. And so I was interested in, in what does social justice mean in, in our schools and, and, and how we teach and how we, how we structure our schools and all that kind of thing. So it's, it started there. and. Uh, it's kind of just been a part of my practice since I started teaching and then developing what that looks like. So it's been a, been a good journey. <laughs> what ultimately inspired you? I mean, you were obviously trained in Freire and uh, critical pedagogy, but what inspired you to emphasize curriculum around social justice? Well, quite simply, like uh, I think for myself, I spent a lot of years working with uh, in like inner city communities or with marginalized students who who didn't see their their voices, their cultures, who they were in the curriculum. And specifically, I'm, I'm interested in how does how can we as teachers using curriculum uh, lift up the voices of those of our past and, and currently who, who don't get the opportunity to uh, um, tell their stories. And so that's what that's what teaching social justice kind of kind of became for me was how do we tell the stories of folks who are traditionally mar- marginalized and specifically as a hard thing to do. I'm not someone who is I'm a white straight dude. So um, I don't come from one of, one of those communities. I come from a middle class background. And, and so I wanted to do that in a good way, an authentic way um, where I'm not doing it in like a tokenized way or just celebrating something like culture, but doing it from a, a framework of justice and equity where using curriculum to, to get those stories told. And then also to allow students to be able to tell those stories through research and through experiences. I'm really curious about this. What are some texts that you use that uh, you ultimately lean on uh, to bring your students into a conversation around social justice? Like some texts, like some books and stuff? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like there's the, the one of the main, well, there's a book that um, I've been using in my classes, just excerpts of it's called, is everybody really equal? Um, and it's, it's a really, it's just an introduction to social justice, but it, what it does is it provides young people with a bit of a framework of how to see these issues. Um, and so what I've, what I've really, I've, I've leaned on that to right. lay the foundation of how we study the past and how we study, uh, how we study history. Um, but really I'm, I'm more focused on, on, uh, uh, 
laying the foundation through student experience and student voice, especially those who've come from that um, a marginalized background. Um, here in Canada, um, in, in Alberta anyways, where I teach, um, teaching in the inner city, I worked with a population of um, roughly about 90% of the school was First Nations or Indigenous youth. And uh, instead of like physical text we would use is that we would invite people from the community to come in and talk and share their stories. And so using a bit more of an oral tradition to as like a starting point or a framing point of how we're going to look at an issue or a historical event kind of thing. So inviting in elders or inviting in uh, knowledge keepers, people from the people from the community who had access to knowledge and, and stories that uh, I would never have access to. So, yeah. 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 And those experiences can be really powerful for students. Totally. Do you ever tap into like the students' families or um, anything like that? <laughs> it's, it's been, t- it's been tough in the past. Um, the students I've traditionally, when I worked in the inner city, um, a lot of them didn't have family connection. Many of them were dealing with homelessness. Um, mm-hmm. So oftentimes uh, there wasn't um, an immediate family that I could touch base with or form a relationship with um, that was connected in any, in any way. Um, but the opportunities that we did, it was really important. I think the, the lesson I took away from working with families in that environment was uh, um, a lot of times, you know, mom or dad are working a couple jobs or they work nights. And so they would usually wouldn't be too involved in their, their kids' education. But we just needed to frame a new relationship of how we're going to get them involved uh, in school. Um, because just because they're busy at night doesn't mean they don't care about what their kids are doing, right? So Yeah, totally. So it was just a matter of reframing how to touch base uh, with those parents. So it was a, it was a bit of a, a workaround. But, you know, we had to rethink of, of how we establish that relationship when our time schedules don't meet up. Right. So, yeah. You said that you teach kids who are homeless, inner city kids and um, kids that are traditionally marginalized within the educational system. How do these kids respond to curriculum centered around social justice as opposed to traditional education? Honestly, I I think the reason why I stick with this so much is because it's such a a breath of fresh air in a classroom, especially for marginalized students, um, because they get to talk about their real lived experiences, right? Like for all of a sudden, the curriculum is, you know, about issues of racism or the curriculum is talking about poverty or the curriculum is talking about homophobia. Uh, and so when we talk about these things, like those kids had those experiences of dealing with those barriers and those challenges. And so all of a sudden, they, you were not studying something that's not, not, that feels disconnected to who you are, but you're studying something that's integral to who you are or, or of something you've faced or, or a challenge you've, you've been it's been put in front of you in your life, right? So social justice was a way to connect young people, especially kids who haven't had a ton of success in their traditional schools before. Um, because for them, it was just like, it was, a lot of it was confidence building. I mean, you, I just felt when they come to my class, they were so beat down. They were so, um, they had no confidence left in their academic abilities. Um, and so a lot of it was confidence building. A lot of it was, was just getting them to understand that they have brilliance within them. And it's just a matter of how do we pull that out? What do we do? And so part of that is studying social justice because they've lived those issues, um, but also that they wanted to be a, make positive contributions to their community. So adding in the element of, of being young activists or, or getting involved in their community in some way uh, to make a positive contribution. So, um, you know, I think it's important with social justice that we don't just leave it at uh, studying a um, a subject or a topic in isolation that but it's also connected to some kind of action that we do as a class and, and that, that could be any number of things but getting involved doing something that's not just studying in isolation is a super important part 
This is really interesting. Um, how do you provide students the opportunity to take what they are learning and apply it beyond the classroom? Yeah. So we've, over the years, we've done any number of, of things. I mean, each year takes on a different, a, a different look of, of what we're going to do as a class and, and, and what we have access to. And obviously money and resources sometimes come into, come into play there. But, um, for example, in the past, we, a couple of years ago, we organized something called the Indigenous Youth Conference. And so we got my class as well as a class, a couple other schools in the inner city. And we organized a, a conference for uh, youth who are living in the inner city, who are facing the challenges of living in the inner city, as well as being Indigenous youth in the city. And they organized a conference, put together speakers, put together workshops for other young people, and we organized a whole day conference. And that was one thing that we want to do in the community for the community, especially kids who don't traditionally get invited to conferences. So we want to put on our own. Wow. Um, and uh, we've done everything from building a community garden. We've done, we made two documentaries on sexual exploitation in Edmonton. Uh, so it's, it's just, it, it kind of uh, takes on its own new look every single year. And the, the one, the really nice part of, um, of working here in Edmonton is the community is, is pretty open. And so there's been all types of really creative uh community activists kind of people who are willing to help out and come into the classroom and, and make those connections and it makes my job a whole lot easier in terms of uh, what we're going to do and, and how we can get involved. So I've been lucky in that respect. So one of the things that I've been exploring for myself and my students this year is um, because we are a global community and because we have easy access to web 2.0 platforms, I'm trying to teach them the importance of leveraging those to give my students a voice within the world. Are you bringing any of those tools into your classroom? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We I haven't done. I was I was out of the classroom last year, but um, the year before, um, we we set up a class YouTube video. Uh, <laughs> a lot of my uh, a lot of my students at that time they were MCs, so like they're rappers, uh, and so we'd be learning about like the French Revolution or something, and then they make raps about it, and then we put it on YouTube. Um, just to connect oh, that's awesome. and put it out there. But we had, we did a bit of a social media campaign as a class as well. We had a, there's a mayoral election in our city. And so we created a, a couple uh, Twitter profiles and uh, we just started hammering questions at the candidates. And I didn't know how that was going to go. Uh, but a lot of the candidates started writing back and started getting in touch. And then that ended up in a visit by a few of the candidates to our classroom. So um, you know, I think it's really important that uh, young people understand that there's, uh, they're connected in ways that, that they don't realize um, in terms of the outside world. And that, that's an important part, I think, really bring into the classroom. I bet those visits uh, really help to solidify for your students uh, that their voice really does matter within their communities. Well, and absolutely. And I think the interesting part, and, you know, the topic of voting is always a, an interesting one, a lot of the, especially for, for that community that they see voting as a useless act. What happened though, is that these kids were all about 18, so they could vote. Uh, and after some meeting politicians and, and communicating with them, the day the election came, our class field trip that day was going down to the voting booth. So um, that's what they decided. That's what they wanted to do. And so that was, uh, that was a kind of a cool thing to see them kind of want to get active and participate in that process. And that they may have never done before. That had to be powerful for those kids, and I bet you it's something that they just remembered for a long time. In your blog, you are critical of testing, standards, grades, and traditional education. 
How does social justice not only shape the curriculum in your classroom, but how does it shape um, the way you manage your classroom? Yeah, I mean, you have to, I think when you are, uh, there's a, a professor, his name is Paul Gorski. He has that quote where I think you have to be a threat to, a threat to inequity wherever you see it um, as an educator. And, and so you have to look at um, these approaches, the way we assess, the way we grade, the way we do everything. And you have to ask the question, is this, is this doing what we think it's doing? Is this fair for every student um, that come across our classroom? And then not even just fair, but is this, does this do what we want, want to do for our students? Is it doing the things we think it's doing? Um, but most importantly, the way we, we assess student knowledge in the classroom. Um, I think when I first started, I, I probably graded and marked like every other teacher learns how to mark, right? You know, since then, I've, I've been on a, pro, a, a process of, of trying to give feedback and assess my students in ways that, that is, is more valuable. I do a lot of conferencing. But most importantly was, the, was being able to uh, incorporate portfolio assessment into my classroom. And I think for me, that students can kind of look back on their, their uh, progress within a class through a portfolio and they can choose what assessments are their best and we can have a conversation about how well they did and we can rank that way um that is to me that is having them have a voice and then their learning and how well they've done it's not just a one sided i gave you a six out of ten and there that's that so to me that, that's an, an equity issue of, of bringing students to the table of how they're assessed tell me more about that how do you bring students to the table how do you get them involved in the assessment process what does that look like yeah, it's good. It's honestly, it's, it's a conversation you have to have throughout, for me, throughout the semester, because a lot of students aren't used to, con- I find anyways, aren't used to, to conferencing one-on-one with their teacher. Um, they're not used to uh, me taking a couple of times throughout the semester, number of times throughout the semester and, and sitting down one-on-one with them. So the first conversation, honestly, that, that we have is just a, more of a get-to-know-you thing at the beginning of the semester. Um, so I like to break it down, get to know them, ask them what their goals, their aspirations are for the semester, what do they want to learn. And then we break it down and we just use that portfolio. We put it out in front of the two of us. I have them self-assess it first. Um, and then we sit down, we talk about how well, you know, what they've been doing well, what they think they could improve on. Um, we go over specific assignments. We go over lots of different things. But overall, I'm looking at big skills. I'm looking for And specifically, I want to see them be able to self-assess and, and know that they can do, know what their, what their best effort looks like rather than me having to validate that with a mark, right? So it's it's kind of creating that like internal um, knowledge of what good work looks like from them rather than having someone else having to tell them what it is good, good, good work. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Uh, They're the ones that have to be owners of their work at some point, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that's, it's it's a good conversation. I mean, it's not easy. It's not um, sometimes I think when, when things have been done in such a way for so long in, in, in the education system, going against the rain or doing something differently kind of throws students off to an extent. So, uh, you know, yeah, it it just takes some time to get there. I always think at the end of a, end of a semester, we're finally got everything right where we want to be. The class is swimming, everyone's on board with the assessment and then the class ends. So (laughs) you start all over again. Yeah. So you bring up, uh, the fact that your students have a lot of voice and choice within your classroom and, uh, this field trip that you took them on was part of their choice. How much choice do kids have within uh, your classroom? 
It, I mean, we, we, I like to offer choice as much as possible. I mean, obviously, I have I have learning outcomes within our uh, within our provincial curriculum that I have to cover. But that being said, I you know I worked at Alberta Education last year on social studies curriculum. I know how to use that curriculum in a way where we can make choices in terms of the examples and different topics that we we put into that curriculum to hit those standards, right? So. Um, I like to give students choice in terms of how they demonstrate their knowledge as often as I can. So like when we do a project, or I like to give a choice in terms of how they're going to demonstrate that. Um, at the same time, I also want to challenge them. They don't just do the same type of project over and over and over again. Um, and that kind of thing. So like, and that, and then also I think there's a, as much as possible, I want the curriculum to be directed from the young people I, I, I work with. So learning who they are, their identities, their background, their interests. Um, I want to kind of, I have them do a little survey at the beginning of the year and just kind of suggest things that they want to learn about and, and things they want to talk about. And usually what I find in, in my experience is there's not a lot of like, there's some kids who will say like World War One or something like that, but a lot of kids will talk about, I want to learn about racism. I want to learn about poverty. I want to learn about these really big picture issues. Um, and I don't know if kids just come to my class for that or, uh, um, or they're they're wanting an opportunity to talk about that in a in a in a more official setting, a classroom setting than they're used to. And that's the thing: kids are talking about those issues no matter what outside of school or or outside of class. That uh, to not talk about it in class just seems kind of funny to me. So yeah, so when they when they bring it up, it's just uh, it's just an opportunity to say like, okay, like this that's really important. Let's incorporate that into to the outcomes that we got to hit. Yeah, I really think kids are uh, are interested in creating uh, equity in the world. Uh, then we might give them credit for. I know when I was in high school, I was a punk rocker who was very politically aware. And I know many of my students really care passionately about uh, wanting to change the world and, and make it a better place and uh, create more opportunities for uh, everyone. Yeah, and I, and I think that we don't give kids credit enough for that. And you know what I mean? I think we kind of, we, there's that deficit kind of viewpoint or deficit ideology. I think we, that just permeates education sometimes where we, we see all the faults in youth. We see all the, what they're not good at. We look at, their, look at them from a deficit. But and, you know, as soon as you flip that switch and you start looking at those strengths, I mean, there's kids here with great compassion, with great energy, and, 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 and you know, that real beautiful thing about being young and wanting to change the world for the better. I think we got to you know, foster that. So. Oh, absolutely. And uh, yeah. when a kid has a passion for something, all they want to do is just explore and learn and be challenged. Absolutely. And you can't lose that. It's beautiful. So in your blog, you uh, place a huge emphasis on student-teacher relationship. Mm-hmm. Why is it crucial in education? It seems all the gimmicks uh, to get kids to do work, um, like worksheets to gamification, yeah, I feel like a lot of this just ignores the need for the student-teacher relationship. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Why is the student-teacher relationship so crucial to learning? Yeah, I think I think there's a, I had a really excellent student who pushed me a lot when I my earlier in my career. Um, I think he said, and I was trying to teach the class, and it was probably the most boring lesson of all time. I was probably trying to, I'll say it was the French Revolution, because I always pick on that for some reason. Um, <laughs> and uh, and uh, he was like, why are you talking? Like, you remember saying, he said, why are you talking like this? We don't know you. You don't know us. Why do we care what you have to say? And that, that shook me. 
um, because I thought I was doing the things to get to know my students, but clearly I wasn't. And so, uh, for me, what that, what that meant was like, I mean, what do these kids care what I have to say, what I can teach, what we can do in class. Um, if they don't think I care about them, if I don't take the time to get to know them or, or create a relationship or create a sense of community in the classroom. Um, so relationships, you know, especially, I mean, in any situation, I don't even care if you're working in the most, you know, affluent area in the world, or you're working in the inner city, the, there's a, you have to make really, if students are going to buy in and, and really get a meaningful experience with you as an educator, you have to develop those relationships that you care for those students, you're there for those students, you support them, um, and you got their back. And when they know that and, and intrinsically that you're there and that you care, you can, you can foster that community among the other students, right? There's that idea that if we're going to, if we're going to be in this classroom together, we need to not only learn about the world, but we need to learn about each other. Um, and that's, that is a super, it's a big piece. And I think a transformative piece of what education can be. It's not just a, you know, I think sometimes we get lost that these kids come into our classrooms as much individuals. They learn individually, they take the test individually, and then they leave individually. But we think about the impact on our world. I mean, you know, we could think, we could talk about some of the issues we're facing as a, a lack of community we have or a lack of relationships that we build. And, and so those are, those are really important skills I want, I want students to, to learn and to foster and to challenge themselves with and, and to understand that their experience, the way they see the world is, is not the only experience. Many different people of different backgrounds experience the world in different ways. And fortunately, we have diverse classrooms with diverse experiences. So let's, let's get on that right now and let's look at the world through the different lenses we have. So without that community and without that uh, relationships, like to me, social especially social justice learning won't take place. Um, because to get young people to talk about something like racism, which can be very uncomfortable to talk about, they're not going to go down that road unless they feel they're safe and that they're cared for. So, Absolutely. And I find when I have students who are disengaged, what they are saying is exactly what your students said. <clears throat> you don't know me, which translates to them as you don't care about me. So if we want to get students to engage, we have to validate them and acknowledge them as people first. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what those kids are looking for. They want to be validated. And like any kid who's come and who's, who's struggled with relationships with teachers and who's had a poor experience in other places, as soon as they make that connection with you, you can just see their whole face turn around, right? Like just, they light up when they, when they finally make the realization that they're in a good space. And so that's a beautiful thing too, when you see that, because then they can start to actually, you know, develop their potential as, as people. So it's a cool thing. So true. Um, I know you teach social studies, but how might social justice curriculum also extend to other content areas or grade levels, uh, such as math or the primary school or science or something like that? Yeah, I think there's lots of different ways to do it. I think, you know, I've talked to a lot of my ele elementary colleagues and, and, and they've been doing some really cool stuff with incorporating social justice uh, at different grade levels or different ages. Um, you know, the very, very young grades are focused on, on what is the concept of, of treating people fairly and, and, uh, and, and kind of focusing on that kind of thing. But I think what the interesting thing I've learned from working with my elementary colleagues uh, last year was, was uh, to give young people, especially you know, kids in elementary school, more credit. Like they know how to talk about these issues than we give them credit for. Um, and so they're ready to talk about you know, discrimination and prejudice and stereotypes. Um, 
before they're 17 years old. So uh, to give those kids credit and to, and to do that in an age appropriate way. Um, so that's really interesting. What was the second part of your question though? I just missed it. Yeah. How might social justice be applied to other content areas like um, science or math or art? There's a friend of mine, he lives in Hamilton, Ontario, and I know other people have done this in, in different countries and different across our country. Um, but they, they're trying to incorporate uh, social justice into math. Um, and so social justice can fit, you know, seamlessly into social studies. It fits pretty well into English. Um, you can you can make different uh, connections elsewhere. But in math, what, what his big problem is that a lot of math problems that kids have in their textbooks are just like, you know, Susie has a piece of pizza and then you know, Dave has two pieces of pizza. Well, how many pieces of pizza do they have all together? Well, instead of doing something like that, that we can actually take data from social issues and do math on those issues. So word problems can be about issues of poverty, can be about any kind of data, you know, data from social issues that we have and start get kids thinking about math in a new way centered around uh, what does poverty look like by the numbers? Right. And, and start developing those numeracy skills uh, connected to a social issue. Um, so it's not just like dead math, just math for the sake of math, but it's, it's math connected to a social problem. So. So for, say, a uh, teacher wants to uh, instruct on linear equations, uh, she can ask her kids to respond uh, or research what is the current minimum wage and uh, compare that to the current standard of living. And uh, determine what it's going to be like 20 years from now uh, using linear equations. Exactly. That's exactly it. And that's something I'd love to take up in a classroom too, right? Is that, that problem right there. So, you know, I think it's really interesting when you th- I think social justice in itself can be a really interdisciplinary lens of, ha- of how we look at, at teaching it in our classrooms and uh, myself and uh, a science teacher I worked with it a couple of years ago, we did a, we put together a class on climate change. Uh, and we we team taught, and and obviously he was the science guy, so he he took the 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 round, he took the hands on uh, on teaching the science portion of what climate change looks like, and getting students to consider all the science behind climate change. Uh, and then I came in, we talked to the students about the, the social, economic, and political impacts of climate change, and looking at how different people across the world are impacted by climate change. So you know, there's a justice and equity issue you can put put to climate change in different ways. And so it's when you really start to peel back the layers of what classes and school could look like, the ways we can incorporate our disciplines together is really, really exciting. And that concludes this episode of TG2Cast. If you'd like more information, check us out on our website at teachersgoinggradeless.com or our Facebook group. You can also follow us on Twitter at TG2Chat. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast to make sure that you get future installments. Thanks for listening.